Chapter Thirteen of The Blue Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. The Blue Envelope by Roy J. Snell. Chapter Thirteen Strange Discoveries. It was a strange sight that met the eyes of the two girls as they paused halfway to the dark patch on the surface of the ice which loomed like a giant's shadow in the snow fog with eager feet they dashed on leaping narrow chasms and stumbling over ice barriers in their mad rush the revelation which came as they rounded the last pile of ice was both a surprise and a disappointment great heaps of ashes piles of bottles and tin cans frozen masses of garbage junk of every description from a rusty tin dipper to a discarded steel range met their eyes it's a graveyard murmured marian a graveyard of things people don't want that some people didn't want corrected the more practical lucile marian we're rich rich marian stared why yes don't you see there's an old clothes wringer that's got a lot of wood in it and there's an old paper bucket that'll burn there's a lot of things like that it won't take any time at all to get enough wood to cook our duck a fire a fire exclaimed marian jumping up and down in a wild dance then seized with lucille's spell of practical philosophy she grasped a rusty tin kettle we can cook it in this there's a hole in it but we can draw a cloth into that and we can scour it up with ashes the next few minutes echoed with glad exclamations here's an old fork here's half a sack of salt here are two rusty spoons here's a boiler and so it went on one would have believed they were in the greatest department store in the land with the privilege of carrying away anything that would fit in their kitchen and that suited their fancy truth was they were rummaging over the city of Nome's vast garbage pile. That garbage pile had been accumulated during the previous year and was, at this time, several hundred miles from the city. During the long nine months of winter, the water about Nome is frozen solid some two miles out to sea. All garbage and junk is hauled out upon the ice with dog teams and dumped there. When spring comes, the ice loosens from the shore and laden with its great cargo of unwanted things carries it through bering straits to haunt the arctic ocean perhaps for years to come it is moved hither and yon until time and tide and many storms have at last ground it into oblivion the long arctic twilight had begun to fall when the two girls hungry and weary but happily laden with many treasures which were to make life more possible on their floating palace of ice made their way towards their camp besides scraps of wood enough for two or three small fires and cooking utensils of various sorts they had found salt part of a box of pepper and six cans of condensed milk which had doubtless been frozen several times but had never been opened we could live a week said lucile exultantly even if we didn't have another bit of good luck yes said marian slowly but let's hope we don't have to i'm afraid i'd get awfully hungry they dined that night quite happily on a third of their duck soup made of duck's broth and condensed milk 
and half of a pilot biscuit. Oh, Marion, said Lucille, as she thought of sleep, that kayak's so crowded when we sleep there. Yes, said Marion thoughtfully, it is. I wonder if we couldn't make a sleeping bag. At once needles and some sinew thread found in the native's hunting bag were gotten out. The four deerskins were spread out, two on the bottom and two on the top, with the fur side inside, and they went to work with a will to fashion a rude sleeping bag. Their fingers shook with the chill wind that swept across the ice, and their eyelids drooped often in sleep. Yet they persevered, and at last the thing was complete. Are you sure it won't be cold? said Lucille, who had never slept in a sleeping bag. Oh, no, I know it won't, Marian assured her. I've heard my father tell of spreading his on the frozen ground when it was thirty below zero, and sleeping snug as a possum in a hollow tree. All right, let's try it, and Lucille spread the bag on the sealskin square. After removing their skirts and rolling them up for pillows, together they slid down into the soft, warm depths of their arctic bed. Mmm, whispered Marian. Mmm, whispered Lucille back, and the next moment they were both fast asleep. All through the night they slept there with the great dipper circling around the North Star above them, and with the ice floe carrying them, who could tell where. The two following days were spent in fruitless hunting for wild duck and in making trips to the rubbish pile. These trips netted nothing of use save armfuls of wood which helped to add a cheery tone to their camp. Though the fog held on, the nights grew bitterly cold. They were glad enough to creep into their sleeping bag as soon as it grew dark. There for hours they lay and talked of many things, of the land to which the ice floe might eventually bring them, the people who would be living there, and the things they would have to eat. Then again they would talk of school days, and the glad good times that now seemed so far away. Of one subject they never spoke. Never once did one wonder to the other what their families were doing in their faraway homes. They did not dare. It would have been like singing Home Sweet Home to an American soldier on the fields of France. The second day's tramp to the rubbish pile brought them a great surprise. They were busily searching through the piles of cans for a possible one that had not been opened, when Lucille, happening to hear a noise behind her, looked up. The next instant, with a startled whisper which was almost a cry, Marian, quick! She seized Marian by the arm and dragged her around an ice pile. What, what is it? whispered the startled Marian. Bear. At this very moment, on another section of that same vast flow, Phi lay flat on his stomach, his eye traveling the length of his rifle barrel. His brow was wrinkled. He moved uneasily as a gambler moves who would risk all on one throw of the dice, but does not quite dare. He shook the benumbed fingers of his right hand, then gripped the rifle once more. His forefinger was on the trigger. He had arrived at a crisis. He was half-starved and freezing. For three days now he had wandered over the vast expanse of ice-pans that covered the waters of Bering Straits. During that three days he had secured only two birds, dove-keys they were, birds who linger all winter in the Arctic. These he had shared with Rover. From the moment the snow-fog had settled down upon him, and the break in the ice-flow had blocked his way so effectively, 
he had wandered about without knowing where he was going. The ice-floe, constantly drifting, first this way, then that, may have carried him east, west, north, south. Who could tell where? Who could guess his position on this surface of the ocean at the present moment? A brown seal was the cause of his excitement now. The seal, lying asleep upon the ice-pan before him, must weigh something like seventy pounds. This was meat enough to last him and his dog many days. He was not a good shot, and he knew it. He had wandered over the ice-flows of the ocean at times with a rifle under his arm, yet never before had he stalked a seal. Only the grimmest necessity could have induced him to do so now. There was something altogether too human in those bobbing brown heads as they appeared above the water or lifted to gaze about them on the ice. But now his need and the need of the dog demanded prompt action. Two things made a perfect shot a necessity. The seal was sleeping beside his hole. If he was not killed instantly, he would drop into the hole and be lost to the hunter. And this was the last cartridge in the rifle. The two birds had cost him four shots. The seal must be secured by his last one. There seemed a certain irony about a fate which would allow him to waste his ammunition on small birds, then offer him such a prize as this, with only one shot to win. He knew well enough how to stalk a seal. He had watched the Eskimos do it many times. Lying flat on your stomach, you cautiously creep forward. Every moment or two, you bob your head up and down in imitation of a seal, awakening and looking about. If your seal is awake, since his eyesight is poor, he will take you for a member of his own species and will go back to sleep again. Knowing all this, Phi had dragged himself a hundred feet across the ice without disturbing the seal. Only fifty feet remained, yet to his feverish brain this seemed too great a distance. Seeing his seal bobbing his head, he bobbed in turn, then when the seal had dozed off again, continued his crawl. He had made another six yards, when, with a resolve, he slid the rifle forward, lifted it to position, glanced steadily along its barrel, then pulled the trigger. There followed a metallic snap, then a splash. The rifle had missed fire, the seal had dropped into its pool. For a moment the boy lay there motionless, stunned by the realization that he was still without food, and now powerless to procure any. Well, anyway, it was luck for the seal, he smiled uncertainly. It sure was his lucky day. Rising unsteadily, he put two fingers to his mouth and uttered a shrill whistle. From behind a towering ice-pile, Rover, gaunt and miserable, yet unmistakably a white man's dog, and by his bearing, one-time leader of the team, came limping forward. Well, the boy said, patting the dog, it's hard luck, but we don't eat. It's harder for you than for me, for you are old and I'm young, but somehow, somehow we'll have to manage. If only we knew, if only... He stopped abruptly, and his eyes opened wide. Off to the left of them, like a giant fist thrust through the fog, there had appeared the giant bulk of a granite cliff. "'Land, Rover! Land!' he muttered hoarsely. 
The next moment, utterly overcome with excitement, he sank weakly to the surface of the ice pan. This won't do, he said cheerily after a brief period of rest. Rover, old boy, we must be traveling. If the ice is crowding that shore, which it must be from the feel of the wind, there's a chance for us yet. End of chapter 13